Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis, and today I am joined by the esteemed and excellent talk show host, one of the top 100 in the country for years and years and years. Joyce Kaufman, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Karen. I love the Full Rigor podcast. I I'm a big fan. Yay! Thank you very much. Um, we talk about all kinds of crime in Florida, but one of the biggest crimes happened right there in Broward County. You live in Broward County. You've lived there a long, long time, right? Yes, I've been down here for 40-odd years. That sounds like an eternity. And you recently answered the call as a civil servant to uh, respond to jury duty in Broward at the Broward County Courthouse. And what trial were you assigned? Well, interestingly enough, I had kind of anticipated that this was going to happen. I don't know if I'm prophetic or just always think the worst possible scenario might happen to me, but I knew that they were trying to seat a jury by Friday of last week in the case of the Parkland shooter who had apparently assaulted a prison guard in 2018 when he was first incarcerated. And I said to myself, if they call me for Elizabeth Shera's courtroom, that's the case that she's going to be seating the jury for today. So sure enough, the first group gets called up and they say that it's for Elizabeth Shera's courtroom. My name wasn't called. And then the next group gets called up and sure enough, I was the first one called and I thought, oh my gosh. How am I going to, you know, endure this? And to be honest, Karen, I didn't realize that the defendant would be in the courtroom. Yeah, right. Because I've been, yeah, I've been to other jury selection processes where you're only there with the attorney, the state attorney, and the defendant, uh, defendant's attorneys, and the judge. But in this instance, when I walked into that courtroom, uh, the Parkland shooter was sitting there. And let me set the stage for you. Judge Elizabeth Shore is a beautiful woman, by the way. And then yes. you've got this defendant. You describe him as what? He was pathetic. He was um, small. And uh, the only thing I kept thinking, he had a mask on and he had, you know, a really um, diminished presence. His body was folded over. He was kind of weepy and... He looked demon-possessed. I mean, I I, I don't know what that actually means to the audience, but to me, I could see that the actual child or young man that was sitting in front of me probably wouldn't have been capable of doing the things I know he did unless something had entered into him that sort of supernatural. Something evil. And you were afraid that was going to jump to you. Did he have, like, the dark eyes, the black eyes? He did. He had those really dark, deep-set eyes. Um, he has lost a tremendous amount of weight, and he wasn't big to start with. So he's kind of like shrunken and, and skeletal looking. Nothing like the paper keeps showing pictures of him in the orange jumpsuit. No. When he was, uh, yeah, when he was first arrested, he did not look like that. He had on, um, you know, a blue shirt. I don't know if it was a prison outfit or not. And he was just, you know, everything hung on him. He was so small. He's 23 now. I have the photo of him, like, kind of hunched over at the defendant's table, as you're describing, up at Full Rigor Podcast on my Instagram page, if you want to see the photo. But if you don't know, Nicholas Cruz is accused and has confessed to killing 17 students at 
Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, which is in Parkland, which is, you live in Coral Springs, so you're very close to it. Here's just a little bit of the audio from that day, for almost four years ago, Valentine's Day, from 911 calls. Oh my God! Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. I got another caller advising someone was shot in the 1200 building. So... It was just a horrific day, and we want to forget it. I mean, we can't, obviously, we'll never forget Parkland Strong, but we want to forget Nicholas Cruz, basically. But there you were sitting in the same courtroom with him, and this is what Judge Schur told you. Ladies and gentlemen, even though this case is not the Parkland shooting case, I must gauge your knowledge of Nicholas Cruz and the Parkland shooting in order to ascertain whether you can be fair and impartial. Let me begin by saying, if you have never heard of Nicholas Cruz or the Parkland shooting, you're under a court order to please keep it that way. Do not try to go on your cell phone, on your electronic devices and look it up, look his name up, look, look up any of the places or the people involved. Don't Google Parkland shooting, don't, don't go on Wikipedia, uh, don't post anything on any internet chat site. So there's Joyce Kaufman sitting there, and on that day, that Valentine's Day, you and I were on the air, I believe. Uh, That's correct. Yeah, because I was your producer of the Joyce Kaufman Show, and we were on the air as it was going down, and you knew everything there was to know about the Parkland shooting. So how did that affect you in this jury selection? Well, I obviously, I could not put any of that out of my mind. And actually, on that day, um, after you and I got through with the show, during which time I received a text message from a friend whose daughter was currently at the University of Florida and had texted her father and said, um, I know who the shooter is, long before any details, um, because she had known of Nicholas when she had gone to Parkland the year before. And so she was pretty sure who the shooter was. And then I had a personal appearance that afternoon at Gunworld in <gasps> South Florida. Oh, and so yes, because now you're, I'm on, you're the most heavily armed talk show host. That's correct. And so I'm on my way to this appearance, and I'm listening to you and the rest of the station that just continued on with uh, live coverage, you know, as much as possible. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is a local person. He purchased a gun. I'm on my way into a gun shop which sells rifles, and I don't have any idea what this is going to look like when I get there. And, of course, when I got there, they were busy combing through their records because they have to keep records of every weapon that is purchased. And the one odd thing was the spelling of the shooter's name is unusual. It is. It's not the, yeah, it's not the typical spelling of Nicholas. And um, I think a lot of people were thrown by that. And they were busy looking, you know, to see if, if anything had been purchased there. And I'm trying to maintain my composure in, of all places, a gun range. And uh, at the end of it, I, and I believe it was either you who called me or somebody else from the station said, you're really nearby, go over there. And so I went over to, to um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And the scene there was absolutely hysterical. I mean, there were parents searching for their children. There oh. were crying students who had been evacuated from the campus. And this was hours later, and it was still utter chaos there. The first guardian angels showed up. I mean, it was a scene out of a, a horror movie, really. And um, 
I just remember being very shaken and, and crying, you know, and thinking this isn't really happening. Well, but one of the parents who was driving around that afternoon was Andy Pollack, who uh, became a close friend after this event. His daughter Meadow uh, was one of the people killed by the shooter. And I remember him driving around and stopping everybody and asking, has anyone seen my daughter? And then showing a picture of Meadow. And it was heartbreaking. It was on CNN all night long. And at the time that CNN put it on, they were making fun of Andy because he had a Trump T-shirt on. And they lived to regret that decision. So... Just backtracking slightly, Gun World did not sell the offending weapon to Nicholas Cruz, correct? They did not. Okay. And right. se- and secondly, uh, Meadow was upstairs in the 1200 building um, when she was shot. So Nicholas Cruz entered and started shooting through the walls into the classrooms of the freshman building, shooting through the walls right. and then went upstairs. I mean, and the shooting continued upstairs. So... He had a lot of time because, and then you know the whole thing with the BSO deputies not going in, and they eventually, mm-hmm. he left the school campus, and the, he was apprehended uh, on the sidewalk elsewhere after he went and bought a drink. Um, but that's not why you were in court in Broward County to be a juror in a trial against Nicholas Cruz. This was the trial, and here's, again, Judge Elizabeth Schur, that you potentially were going to sit as a juror for. Alleging that on November 13th, 2018, Nicholas Cruz did intentionally attempt to touch or strike Sergeant Raymond Beltran, a Broward Sheriff's Office law enforcement officer, against his will with a deadly weapon, specifically a conductive electronic weapon, knowing that he was engaged in the lawful performance of his legal duties. So you told the judge that you could not suspend and listen to the evidence and determine guilt or innocence because you just, and plus you'd already met the defense attorney, right? You know, you knew the attorney, so you really can't sit on the jury if you know the people that are trying the case. It's true. But the first round of questions that the judge asks are, can you put aside, if you know anything about the Parkland shooting, can you put that aside in judging this case? And if you cannot, raise your hand. Now, I did not raise my hand because I thought I was capable of sitting on a jury on a different matter. Right. But then she asked, have you seen anything that leads you to believe that you could not be fair in judging this case on its own merit? And at that point, I had to raise my hand because the videotape of Nicholas Cruz, you know, grabbing the taser from the guard and wrestling around on the floor until he's finally subdued, had been on the internet and on television. And I had seen it numerous times. So now, you know, that's embedded in my mind. And at that point, I had to raise my hand. Now, obviously, the people who knew me in the courtroom registered knowing me, but kept passive faces, because I'm sure the state attorney, I knew one of them, uh, would have loved for me to be on that jury. They like intelligent and, people on the jury. Exactly. And the and the judge, she kept a completely neutral face in light of the fact that I had also met her in the past. Uh, I don't know if she didn't remember me, but I suspect she did and wanted to see, you know, the reaction before in the courtroom who knew me, including one of the um, uh, legal uh, team of the defendants, which was now... 
diminished because the lead attorney for the defendant had been sick and was not on the case. So they had put other public defenders in his place. And that the public defender they replaced him with, I did know. So there were enough people in that courtroom who had a, you know, a knowledge of who I might be. And, and they were really uh, very controlled. Nobody said anything. Nobody immediately threw me off the jury. The last time I went for a jury selection, Jack Seiler, the former mayor, was the attorney representing the defendant. And he wanted me seated on that jury. But unfortunately, I did not get seated because I told the truth. That's right. You do. Mm -hmm. And she did admonish anyone talking about what goes on in the courtroom there, but you're able to talk about it because you're not on the jury. But and we're going to get to that. Um, But were you in the courtroom when she was talking about Nicholas Cruz having the colored pencils and that he looked like a child coloring and that was not helping his case and that they could be come and used as a weapon because they weren't court issued? You know, I saw the pencils and I saw him, you know, uh, with an uh, an upturned iPad, um, but I did not hear the judge address that. Yeah, she did because he was sitting there coloring with these pencils, and she's like, "No, those have to go away." So yeah, he wasn't coloring when I got there. Um, I was in the second group, so I don't know if that happened in the first group. But he was uh, using an iPad, which I thought was unusual. Hmm. So a jury was selected, and they were told to return the next week. But and this just happened. That trial was postponed, and then we find out today, according to exclusive reporting from WSVN 7 News in Miami, and they have the inside scoop because the former public defender, Howard Finkelstein, is their legal analyst. He was the head of public defenders, yeah. Yeah, and so they found out that today Nicholas Cruz will be in court, but he'll be virtually on a Zoom call, and that he Mm -hmm. has agreed to cop a plea. And he's agreed to cop a plea to the case you were going to be seated for, the battery against the BSO deputy in the jail, and also to 17 counts of murder. But the whole reason that he was supposed to stand trial for the Valentine's Day massacre at Parkland was because the prosecutors would not take the death penalty off the table. And they haven't taken it off the table, but some are saying this is a really smart move because by not putting the families through a trial, the defense attorney and Howard Finkelstein is saying that they're hoping one juror, because it's going to go no trial and go right to sentencing, they're hoping one juror will say, hey, you know, I'm going to cut him a break because he did this and not vote for the death penalty for him because you have to be unanimous in Florida. The jury has to be unanimous. Is that what you've heard? It is what I've heard, but I've also heard um, contrary opinions from people who are currently serving in the public defender's office. And their concern is that uh, even though they won't allow the mitigating uh, uh, guilty plea for the assault against the police officer to be used in the sentence, sentencing on the uh, the mass murder, which, by the way, is not just 17 charges of homicide, but an additional 17 charges of attempted yes. homicide because there were kids who were injured and didn't die. Um, and so, you know, their feeling was that if, the, if this trial is not moved outside of Broward County, there isn't a prayer that this guy isn't going to get the death penalty. You mean the sentencing phase? Yes. Well, there's only going to be a sentencing right. phase if if he has pleaded guilty to all the charges. Um, and they didn't think that there was a, even a remote possibility of finding a juror in Broward County 
who at some point had not heard of this case and did not have an opinion formed. And we're a, you know, we're a state that's a law and order state. And I, I agree with them. I don't think that you'd be able to see the jury in Florida and certainly not in Broward County where they would uh, show any mercy to this mass murderer. That's a really good point. And you know the prosecution is going to let the jury who's deciding his fate to live or die hear all of the evidence. Like the 911 calls, parents talking about their children who were killed, and the fact that he said that he wanted to shoot up a school. Oh my God. That's not going to help him. And if you um, if you are considered, uh, you know, in your right mind, which is necessary for a plea to be accepted, whether it's guilty or not guilty, um, you have to be competent to make that decision. And if they determine that he's competent and he has decided to plead guilty to those murders, why would anyone show him any mercy? Exactly. Yeah. Good point. But there's always just one person. You never know. They get one person on there that says, nope. And he gets life in prison. And then we don't ever have to mention his name again or think about him ever right. again. If, he, if they do put him to death, we have to talk about him again. Yeah, well, he'd be on death row for an inevitably. So, you know, which I object to that right away. But, you know, the, the sad part about this case, and, and I think the part that the, the uh, defense attorneys were hoping, is that the pain of the parents and the families and the, and the kids who went to that school has really not diminished over the years. No. It's, it's actually been exacerbated by every other school shooting, whether it's in San Antonio or it's in, you know, uh, Connecticut, wherever it takes place. It just reopens all the wounds. And that's going to be ongoing. I can't see an end to school shootings anytime in the near future. No, unfortunately not. Well, Joyce, it's a good thing you weren't seated on the jury because now it's been postponed. That trial, the battery trial has been delayed. And uh, we Mm. could hear today, he's not supposed to enter his plea today, but he will be in court today. So that's why I'm doing a special uh, full rigor episode, especially with you, with your perspective from inside the courtroom. How, How many feet away were you from him? I was probably about 12, 14 feet at the most away from him. Did he and, ever? And the, they positioned me right opposite him so that I could not avoid looking at him. <sighs> Did he ever look at you? He looked at me. He looked at everybody. But then he would cast his eyes down. And, you know, I, I think um, the person who stared me down the longest was the state attorney. Not the one that I had met, but the one I didn't know. And she kept whispering to her. Um, you know, her colleague. And I know what she was saying is, look, look how angry that woman looks. <laughs> because I was just infuriated that I, w- I had to sit there and look at this, uh, you know, this piece of human refuse. And I-, I couldn't summon up any sympathy at first. At the very end, I closed my eyes and I actually said a prayer and I said, please remove this hate from me because it's not, it's not a good thing. Oh. And when I opened my eyes again, I saw him for the first time as a small a broken person. And I realized that, you know, it wasn't that person that did it. Whoever did it was possessed at the time they did it. Yeah. 12 angry men and one angry woman, Joyce Kaufman. Thank you for joining me. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. Thank you. So I'll keep you posted on what happens to Nicholas Cruz if he pleads guilty and if he gets the death penalty. So that wraps up Full Rigor for this episode, this special episode. Thanks for listening. And also check me out on Instagram at Full Rigor Podcast. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and keep listening. Until next time, thanks again.